0: Oh, let's get it. Monday, March 28th, 2022. Born the Battle, brought to you by the US Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to More in the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Facebook. The player inside the blog on blogs.va.gov. However you do it. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. So I'm going to be out of pocket next week. We're hitting up Vegas, baby. I'm going to see my brother for the first time in four years. Uh, Marine Corps veteran myself. He's an Army slash Air Force veteran. So, you know, after high school, after we grew up, we split and, and uh, it'll be good to see him again. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Look forward to seeing it's gonna be the first time I've seen him in four years. That means next week we'll have a born the battle rewind. If you're a rather, if you're a recently, if you're a new listener uh, and if you're a millennial, you're in for a pleasant surprise. couple ratings, one review and one email came in this week that I wanted to share. The review came in from Gabriela LSW says five stars. SSVF senior case manager. This podcast is amazing. As a case manager for homeless veterans, it has been so nice to hear about others speak of SSBF, HUD-VASH, etc. I also enjoy hearing from other veterans about their experiences returning to civilian life. I am so grateful to have this podcast to listen to on my way into work every day. Thank you. Gabriella, and I'm going to butcher the last name, and I apologize. Marchanowski. Marchanowski, Midwest Shelter for Homeless Veterans located in Illinois. Smiley face. Gabriella, thank you for connecting with me on LinkedIn and for, that kind, and for those kind words. Glad to have you as a listener. Getting breakdowns on SSVF and HUD-VASH uh, benefits for our homeless veterans was always on my radar. Glad we could finally cover those. And if you're listening to this episode, and if you haven't yet, please make sure you put those on your list to listen to list. Yeah. Thank you for what you do uh, for veterans as well, Gabriella, and getting the assistance to the veterans that need it. I uh, appreciate the listen. Okay. And the email that came in to our email address here at podcast at came from John Jekyll. It says, vet needs help. On your last episode, you had a drone operator call trying to, for some mental call. I think uh, he was just, uh, he was one of our guests. Uh, he was trying to get some mental health from the VA. I would like to tell all your listeners to look for the vet center in your community. They are the best. Oh, maybe it was one that wrote in uh, as a comment, maybe. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah, John, this is awesome. This is what I love about this community, uh, being able to help each other. Supported by the VA, but not all the red tape you get with the VA. He's talking about vet centers. All you need is your DD-214 and they will provide mental health help. They have saved my life. I use the Columbia, South Carolina Vet Center, and they are the best in supporting vets with combat related stress, PTSD, depression, and family counseling. I myself have tried to get help from VA, and they turned me on to the vet centers for mental health help, and I'm glad they did. Please pass it on. First Sergeant John Jekyll, retired regulator. John, thank you for the note. Glad to have you as a listener over the years. Totally agree with your assessment. Vet Center is a great option. And a great, I would say, first door to open when it comes to VA health services. Uh, even from my own personal experience, their counselors are great. They don't write anything down, uh, and they're all over the country. I think there's over 300 or something. And to learn more about what they do, take a listen to episode 164 of this podcast of Born in the Battle, where Mike Fisher, who is the chief readjustment counselor for the VA, him and I broke. He came on the podcast, and him and I broke down VA vet centers. And how vets can utilize them. Uh, again, John, appreciate the uh, appreciate the shout out and appreciate the email. If you haven't yet, please consider writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so does help us climb higher in the algorithms, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover Born the Battle, to discover this podcast, listen to the testimonies of the fellow veterans, how they overcame their own challenges. Uh, they get a chance to listen to the benefits breakdown episodes, and they also hear what's in the news releases. It's also the best way for me to communicate with you. You let me know how the podcast is going. Uh, I take your feedback. I, you know, take it and figure out how I could better serve you. Please write a review. Let me know how we're doing. Okay. No news releases this week, but by the time this episode drops, Secretary McDonough's March press conference should be posted on VA's YouTube page where there was a lot of back and forth uh, from the reporters and the secretary and the deputy secretary about the electronic health record trial run out in Walla Walla, Washington. And a lot of talk about the Air Commission Report, which was a news release, I think, last episode. Um, I'll put the press conference as a link at the bottom of this episode's blog on blogs.va.gov. Also, not a news release, but it was a recent story on blogs.va.gov that piqued my interest because I'm currently dealing with it. Uh, Pittsburgh VA clinicians have opened up a clinic for veterans who have recovered from the acute stage of COVID, but who have continued uh, what's called long COVID, the, the, the debilitating symptoms of the disease. Uh, Each veteran gets a personalized treatment program. In addition to clinical care, the team is gathering information on post-COVID conditions for research. Now, in the article, it says to be seen by the clinic, veterans should ask their primary care provider for a referral, which I also may do with my own case. So up again, I'll put that link in the bottom of this episode's blog on blogs.va.gov. Check it out for yourself. All right. This week's guest is an Army veteran, a former drill instructor. He is also a veteran of the Vietnam War, Desert Storm, and OEF, and he is currently the national commander of the Combat Infantry Badge Association. He is also a mentor with the Genesee County, Michigan Veterans Treatment Court, and we're going to go into all that, all that, all that entails. Good stuff. He is Army veteran Fred or Jaylee. Enjoy. Fred, how do you how do you pronounce how do you properly say your last name? It's Borgéli. Borgéli. is that? Bourgely. Yes. Where's
1: that?
0: Where's that come from? Is that French? That's
1: Lebanese.
0: Lebanese, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, what's the background behind that? As far as it your parents, or? Yeah, it's my father. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Fred, the first question we always ask here. I'm born the battle is uh when did you know that military service was going to be the next step in your life?
1: uh you know I, I grew up in a very uh, patriotic family, and my father served in World War two and uh, i' got to tell you he was uh, a guy that flew a flag every day. Uh, we had a flag pull out in front of our house, put it up, took it down when he got older came my job, uh, you know even when he moved to Florida. Uh, in his late eighties, he flew that flag every day, and uh he was a patriot believed in the country and uh you know it just bleeds off onto me
0: so big big inspiration for your father yes,
1: hmm
0: gotcha, gotcha now, looking at your bio, there was something that stuck out to me because you don't really see it in my era uh but you enlisted in nineteen sixty nine and you became a sergeant within six months,
1: yes. They sent you to a, went to a special school. It was a a recon school. They had three different schools. They had armor, recon, and they had infantry. And uh, I got selected for this recon uh, school as a leadership uh, academy. And uh, they made us uh, sergeants in six months. And uh, I went to Vietnam as a sergeant. It was uh, a tough road to hoe because, you know, you got all these guys that were in country, six, nine months, uh, you know, still PFC specialists in that. And here I come. Three up, and uh, I'm going to tell them, "Hey, we're going to battle." Well, I'm a little smarter than that. I was listening to those PFCs and those specialists. Let me tell you,
0: yeah, I bet, yeah. I bet. Um, it's kind of like a, uh, f- you know, from experience that I saw a lot of, a lot of sergeant infantry sergeants that came from 8th and I doing parades for three years and then going into a grunt unit as a sergeant, or and and, and trying to talk, to, you know, trying to lead a lance corporal that's been on two tours to Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that. It had to be something similar. Yeah,
1: yeah, very, very similar. Yeah, but I, I ended up with a great group of guys, and uh, they helped me a lot. And uh, turned out to be a pretty good soldier. So, you know, you just got to know uh, you got to know how to handle it. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't go in here with a puffy chest.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, you, you deployed to Vietnam as a recon scout in the army, but your bio says that you were also attached to the first and second Marine divisions. Talk to me about that. How'd that happen?
1: Well, we were uh, OPCON to the first Marines. I believe it was the fifth uh, Marine Regiment uh, up in uh, outside of Da Nang on a, a LZ Baldy, and uh, the Marines were moving out, so we were uh, we were moving in to uh, support them. And uh, it was a, a interesting uh, time uh, working with the Marines. Uh, you know, they, what was interesting about it? Well, they're they're hard charging. I can tell you that. And uh, you know, I had, had a my first experience wasn't a very positive one because we carried six out in black bags,
0: oh, and uh,
1: so you know it was pretty tough. Uh, you know, I really have a lot of respect for Marines. I live here in California. I live right outside the back gate of the uh, naval weapons station. Uh, outside of Camp Pendleton, I go to Camp Pendleton almost every day to work out. So wow. I'm I'm with the Marines all the time. You know they're they're just a great group, and uh, I I just respect them, uh, love the Marines uh, for what who they are and what they can do. Raw, raw. Um,
0: now you were discharged in 1970, and if I'm doing my math right, that means you were in for a, a little over a year and a half of active time. I'm assuming that was due to injury.
1: No, actually, uh, because of the war was, uh, you know, starting to attenuate supposedly, uh, yeah. you could apply for a uh, an early out and go to college, and uh, oh, wow. many many did. So uh, uh, they let me go to go to school a little bit early, you know, a few months, and uh, yeah, so that that worked out nicely. You know I mean? Very
0: good, very good. Yeah. Um, now, while you were in, Fred uh, give me either your best friend or your greatest mentor. Uh,
1: while well, I was in my, I'm, I'm still best friends with him. He was, uh, his name was Lee Bauke. He grew up in Woodson Terrace, Missouri. Um, I, we went over together. He went to the, uh, 11th ACR, went up North with 96th light infantry and, uh, he's a mess today. He's, uh, he's got Parkinson's and he's been uh, stuck in a wheelchair now for, uh, probably four years, but he's still, he's still hanging in there and we still talk regularly. And I, now I visit him every year. We, we visited each other, rotated. He come to my place. I go to his and, uh, the wives get along really well. And, uh, it's just an enduring friendship. Uh, we really love each other.
0: That's awesome. How, how important it is to, for veterans, uh, to maintain relationships like that?
1: I think it's extremely important. You know, I encourage veterans, you know, to reach out to other veterans. Uh, you know, my current position as a commander of the Combat Infantrymen's Association, I talk to an awful lot of combat guys, obviously, and uh, some of them were pretty lonely. And uh, you know, I encourage them to uh, uh, reach out to other combat vets. We have the ability to see who's a member in our area, in their area, through our membership database. And uh given the permission from that other individual, we'll feed them that that information so they can reach out to them and uh
0: that's great. You know,
1: develop that that friendship,
0: yeah, it's so important to maintain relationships like that, especially when you get out um so you rejoin- you rejoined the reserves in seventy six and stayed until two thousand and nine becoming a sergeant major. What made you want to rejoin in some capacity six years later after you got out?
1: You know, I I felt there was something I could give these troops in my wartime experience after the war ended, uh, and and I was uh, in the the training brigade there in Fort Benning quite a bit, spent a lot of time there, I did a lot of uh, 13 weeks, and I was one of the few guys on the hill with a combat infantryman badge. Mm. None of these guys had a right shoulder patch. So, you know, I could talk to these soldiers about what they could anticipate going to war. Some liked it, some didn't. Some had a hard time processing, you know, what I was telling them they could experience. And I think that's a uh, something we we need to do more of. We, I don't think we prepare these soldiers, um, certainly train them well. You know, you got a 22-week basic training now, infantry. They're extremely proficient in their combatives, weapons, uh, and all the things you need to survive on a battlefield. But we don't get into their head about what they're going to come home with after that 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 time in combat and what they're going to see and what they're going to experience. And I speak a lot about that. I've, I've gone and uh, spoken at uh, national cemeteries. I go to Memorial Day things and yeah. uh, different cities and they ask me to speak about. Stuff and I, I often will bring that up as uh, one of the topics that I think is important to address.
0: So, if you were in charge of training and you wanted to get into soldier, Marines, uh, sailors, airmen's heads about the mentality of what happens when you deploy and when you come home, what, what are some of the things that you would implement?
1: Well, you know, I would talk to them about you know what uh, what they're going to see, what they're going to experience. You know, when, when they first get into a foreign country, you know, the the just the smells, you know, the the difference in the air, and uh, uh, just the way people live, what they eat, and you know um, that that can be a shock into itself. And then when you you know encounter a combat, you know what you're going to see uh, is not going to be pleasant. Uh, nobody. Understands, you know, what, uh, what a 50 caliber does to the human body or an M60 machine gun. Now it's a 240 Bravo, you know, or it's the same thing. And yeah. it's a horrific sight and it's something that you just can't erase. Um, so you have to understand you're going to see some stuff that, uh, you know, television just doesn't do it because you can't, you, you, you're not there. You, you, you don't, you don't have the, the, the visual, you know, you, you don't see the, what 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 damage it's really done to, to someone that was just moments before a living being is now dead. Yeah. And, you know, you cause that, um, uh, you know, for your own survival and for the survival of our nation. And yeah. uh, they need to understand this is what's going to happen in war. And I think it's important that we give them some foundation that it's, War, you know, they say war is ugly, and those are just words. But, but how we uh, inculcate that, how we get that into a combat uh, soldier's head, is uh, something I think best left up to the uh, folks that understand what goes on in our heads better than I do,
0: sure. Sure. And probably also at the same time while you're saying that, that you're going to encounter these things, maybe say hey, but also there are resources to help with that when you come home, even maybe prepping them with that information even before they leave country.
1: Absolutely. That's a perfect point. That that's a that's a great point. Absolutely. And I
0: because if you're gonna if you're gonna show them that stuff, you gotta be able to let them know that it's gonna be okay because there are resources that can help you with that. Absolutely
1: and if and if everybody on a battlefield kind of understands that you know you 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 reach out and help each other and you know i i remember when they first came out with the suicide training and i i went to college i have a degree in psychology so i have some background and That's when they came out with that uh suicide training i said well who's going to do this training it, it, you know you just couldn't give it to E a, i a, 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 a e6 or e5 and or even an officer and say, here you go, without any understanding of what they were putting out to the troops. Yeah, And so I was a little bit, you know, um, concerned at the way they, it was almost like they weren't taking it serious enough. If you were going to do this kind of training, you have to have a professional out there that can answer the questions based on what they were telling the troops.
0: Yeah. Someone's with some experience and some background is always better than a, a PowerPoint. Here you go, teach this. Even though you barely understand it yourself, I think a lot of uh, veterans have been in that situation. You whether it be suicide or another or another assignment, um, sometimes they just they just throw it at you. You got to do the best you can. It's yeah, yeah no, you're yeah. absolutely right. Definitely get better to have a, a subject matter expert that really knows their stuff on that. Yes. Uh, now, Fred, you were your normal nine to five for thirty two years with the, was with the Social Security Administration. Yes. What was your role there?
1: I was a, a district manager, a level one district manager. In uh, Flint, Michigan, it was a very difficult um, uh, service area, a lot of uh, needy people, a lot of poor there, Uh, you know, but uh, uh, great folks, uh, really a a fantastic city to to have been uh, able to work in. And uh, I enjoyed my time with Social Security. It was a great learning experience. I had a lot of opportunities to uh, work on uh, the Hill. Worked for budget issues for the commissioner uh, through another association that I was a president of, and
0: uh, you know, it,
1: it, I, I would I would encourage anybody to go work in government. It's um, uh, it can be very rewarding, and uh, it's uh, still keep in touch with the folks today. I still attend meetings, and I still feel somewhat relevant. I was the past president of the uh, Flint area. Federal Executive Association as the first president, and they still call on me to, to talk to me and ask advice, and I still present awards and that sort of thing. So you know, you yeah, yeah, you really never retire. Uh, at least I don't think people should. <laughs> you know, there's there's a there's a lot of life left after you uh, you know really hang up the the hard the hard job.
0: Yeah, I always you know lately I've kind of been. Uh, talking about purpose and and you know it's great for me with the VA I feel like I have a purpose every day I'm here um you know I think the best day uh, any for any veteran I think a lot of veterans they get hung up on on their service and go that was the best years of my life and you know to your point that federal service is rewarding I think I always say that your best day is tomorrow mm-hmm. always be looking forward yeah. to that yeah um now Fred, you were mobilized for Desert Storm, Noble Eagle, both OEF and OIF when you were still in the reserves. What is it like to be in a reserve unit, having a 9 to 5 like like you had at at the Social Security Administration, and then getting orders that basically put all of that on hold for a bit?
1: Well, as everybody or anybody that really knows me, um, excuse me, uh, my first love is uh, the military. Yeah. I mean, I definitely enjoyed my, my, my civilian job, but uh, any time I could get orders uh, for active duty, I took them and I spent more time on active duty sometimes than I did in the office. And as my <laughs> collar got heavier, I could, I could, I could take that Liberty and make that happen. So, uh, you know, that was, it was disruptive for my family, but you know, I have a wonderful wife. She kept the home fires burning and you just do, uh, uh, what you got to do, and, and and again, it all came back to that. Uh, I just felt that I had something to offer, and uh, I was I was uh, always a good soldier. I, you know, I was always physically fit and knew my yes. subject matter, and I, I and I believed in taking care of the troops. And in those days, basically, it was ensuring that the troops, uh, you know, were taken care of uh, because we were back and forth. You know, uh, from the theater uh, into the states and uh, the reserves were very critical in augmenting units in both Iraq and Afghanistan and even in Homeland. And uh, it was kind of a crazy process because when they left the unit, we were still responsible for them administratively. So we yep. had to make sure that they still were getting promoted, would get the proper awards, would get the proper pay and of course, you know, we had the um family support issues. Yeah. And it it, it it could get really tense. It was a a big job, you know, and you yep. you were, you know, it was, it was a 24/7. Yeah. You, you were on Absolutely. duty all, all the time. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Uh now you have a couple of children, right? Yes. Talk to me about, because I've never explored this. Talk to me about deploying while your kids are still in the house and then coming home. What are some of the challenges that you had to have and, and what are some of the ways that you mitigated it?
1: Well, you know, uh, when you're gone, you know, mom's taking care of them and, uh, you know, they get used to that uh, the way mom wants to raise them. And then uh, you show up and you may look a little different, you know, there were times I'd come home. I grew a mustache, or you know, and uh, they're like, "Who's this guy?" You know, and uh, sometimes they didn't even know when I was going to come home because we didn't know. And so they had a short, short fuse, you know, to get ready. And yeah. but you know, uh, you, you you talk to them. I I, I think sometimes they understand, but I, I I think sometimes they didn't. I know they don't express the the fears they have for you. You just, they just, you know, cry when you leave and that, but you don't realize the stress that they're uh, experiencing, realizing that you're gone because you're so focused on your mission. You're not thinking about the impact it's having on your kids. And you, uh, you realize that when you uh, come back and it, you know, after a couple of deployments, I, I really realized it was, my kids were really missing me and, uh, it, they were they were stressed, wondering what was happening to me, where I was, and that sort of thing, you know. Because the news always portrays pretty much the worst of what's going on, and uh, you know yeah. they they just think that that's where Dad is.
0: Yeah, yeah. They want to portray that drama. Drama, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, very good, very good. Now, the biggest reason I wanted you to come on is your role in working with VA's Veterans Justice Outreach Coordinators. And treatment court—it's something that we haven't explored yet here on Born the Battle. Can you talk about that program and and break it down for those listening?
1: Well, I'm really happy you asked me that. Uh, I, I love working uh, for in the veterans treatment court. I work with a great judge. Uh, this was and, something. And what is a I, treatment
0: court for those that for those that don't? What what is a treatment court?
1: Well, it's for veterans that get themselves in uh, legal problems. You know, they criminal activity of some sort. You know, it's generally yeah. not violent. If it's, if it's violent, they, they're they not referred to the court. Gotcha. But so these veterans get an opportunity to um, go through a year program, very arduous, very strict. And if they succeed, their record's expunged and they go on with their life. And it's huge because some of these uh, charges, you know, would could impact the rest of their life. They'd never get a security clearance. You know, those sorts of things. And it'd be very difficult to find a really good job when anybody would do a background re, uh, Check. research on them. Yeah. So uh, I was asked to uh, participate in this program and I said, sure. So I went in there and uh, I just absolutely uh, embraced that you work with the Veterans Outreach Justice Coordinators. I think they call them the Veterans Justice Outreach Coordinators. Yeah, the VJOs. Yeah, what do uh, they do? They, they work with the veteran, with the VA. They coordinate with the veteran and the VA. They help the veteran get their, the benefits. They work with the veteran. Many, many of these veterans uh, had psychological issues. Yeah. And so they were working with the psychiatrist. They would make sure they would get their medicines, take their medicines, give recommendations to the judge. They were very critical. They were um, uh, the intermediaries between the, the big VA and the court. And I really enjoyed working with these folks. They took it very seriously. Uh, none of them that I knew of ever served, but mm. they acted like they did, I can tell you. And they had the best interests of these uh, people going through this court. Um, and uh, I had a lot of uh, respect for them. I We got an opportunity to go to a number of forums. I was selected to uh, work with the University of Michigan School of Medicine, School of Psychiatry, and talk about the court. And what we're doing, and changes that could happen, and that that you know to make it better, and that sort of thing. And I, I was I was always honored to do that uh, when I, I was doing this in Michigan. And uh, state of Michigan would put on uh, big forums and mm-hmm. call in a lot of other uh, veteran organizations, and have to talk about these uh, veteran treatment courts as well. So. It it was it was heady stuff actually because it was relatively new. They were just standing them up around the country, and this was like one of the uh, first ones uh, uh, in Michigan, and I think in the country as a matter of fact.
0: About what year was this? When did all these started? Uh, Uh, This
1: would have started back in uh, twenty twelve.
0: Oh wow! Okay, so it's ten years ago. Yeah, got you. Now are, are these county, state, or federal programs?
1: This was a this was a uh a county program. Okay. And and yeah, it was it was Genesee County, uh Michigan that, that hosted this one. Yeah. The yeah. judge was Ginny Barkey, outstanding judge. Um, you know, we didn't play with these guys. They had to meet standards, they had to find work right away. You they yeah. didn't come back into court the next week because it was it was weekly. It was a big commitment for us. And wow. every week they showed up on Thursday and the judge would we would stand up there with them because we would talk to them through the week and uh if they had a hiccup they were in they were in orange. They went we had the sheriff standing by and the sheriff would come in there and take them out of jail. Now, gotcha. now they we would we would often the judge would release them in a few days. You know, that was to get their attention. Let, yeah. Let them know this is serious. And uh we go on with the program. I I would say eighty percent of participants made it. There, there were some Mm. that just uh, could not meet the standards, would not leave the drugs. They, they, we would spot uh, drug test them. We had Mm. uh, the the drug supplies right there. um, You know, uh, any kind of drug in their blood, they were done.
0: Got you. You And, and And it's tough to get off. And it's tough to get off them drugs. Tell you.
1: It it, so, it is, it is. But, you know, they, they had to take that if they're on opioids, I forget the name of the drug they had to take, you know, suppress that um, okay. know, urge that and, craving. and, and uh, being, being the only combat veteran in the, in that system as a mentor, I got all the combat vets <laughs> and they were, gotcha. they were not easy. And I, I still, I still mentor them today. I still I still talk to these guys and uh they're doing extremely well. I'm I'm very proud of them. Uh you know, they they survived, you know, the the suicidal ideations and 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 attempts and just uh you know, I had a they had a horrific time and they, they, they look in the mirror today and they'll tell me, say, man, I just don't know how I did it, but uh they did and yeah, very thankful that that, that the uh somebody had the vision to try this.
0: Absolutely. Um, If there's a county, uh, and and I've heard about these courts in in Arizona, this is the second one I've heard about. Um, If there's a county commissioner or a county court that wants to try and start up a program like this, or a state even, um, are there any good resources out there to look at as an example?
1: You know, the resource uh, that we use, we use other treatment courts. Mm-hmm. And judges would talk to these other judges. I believe the first court was stood up in Buffalo, New York. My history gotcha. uh, is correct. And we we modeled a lot of our, uh, uh, you know, actions after that court. And then they started other courts. We, we helped start other courts in the state of Michigan. You know, we started one in Wayne County, Michigan, which is the Detroit area uh, mm-hmm. which is a busy court. And we would go down there and help and work with their mentors and talk to their mentors as well. So that's how I recall this rolled out. Now I haven't been involved at, 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 at that level, sure. you know, in a number of years. So I'm not sure if they formalize something or, or not, but I could certainly call Judge judge up because uh, she's still doing it.
0: Gotcha. Very good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about maybe some other places in the country that could, that uh, you know, someone that's heard this for the first time, you don't know who's listening. Hey, this sounds like a really good idea. Let's start doing something like that in, in, in our county. So, appreciate you for that. Um, do you have maybe a success story where this type of court has helped a veteran learn from their sp- mistakes and maybe got on the right track? You don't have to name names, but maybe if, if there's an example that you might want to share?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh this a guy that was with the uh, Wolfhound 25th ID in Afghanistan came back, uh, it was on opioids. Uh, this guy was a wreck. He, uh, just couldn't get his life together. He was, he was having constant accidents, almost killed himself a couple times and, uh, he got referred to the treatment court. Well, he was assigned to me. And, uh, I, I work with him to this day. Uh, he's, uh, went to school, got his degree. He's working. He's very successful. Um, his his family has rallied around him. Uh and uh I'm very proud of him. Uh, you know, he's a great guy. He's uh he's he's turned to God, he's believes in the Lord and he, he's he's used that very uh in a positive way to help himself grow and, great. and and see that life is worth it. And uh yeah, so we he went from somebody that could have been on the other side of the grass to a very productive member of our society and um uh, I'm just extremely proud of him.
0: Very good, very good. Uh, you talk about being a mentor in, the, in these in these treatment courts. What does a mentor do? Uh, do you call them every day? Is it is it check in every week? In what way does a mentor do you help these veterans that are going through treatment court?
1: Well, it, when, at, at at the beginning, it's every day, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, it's their responsibility to call me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, okay. that you start, you start with that focus. Not me chasing you around. You're going to chase me around. Yeah, you know, and there were there were occasions we had to go to the home. There were occasions we had to meet the family. Some of these guys were were just, I mean, they were big and they were beastly, and these were combat vets. And it it, it was funny because at there were points in times when they were they were worried about me, you know, <laughs> because some of these guys were were big and tough. I wasn't worried about it, you know, but. Uh, it, it's funny how you, you get, you get through that, that stuff, but you know, you know, the families are, are panicked and, yeah. you know, so you would meet with the family and talk to them and, and, uh, you know, but you know, when, when, when you, when the guy beats his dad up, he's got to yeah. go, but yeah. I, I yeah. can tell you, we, we didn't throw him to the curb. If 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 he if he needed my help or wanted to talk to me, I talked to him. And some of these individuals have turned out to be pretty good. You got families. Right. They're married. They're working. It was a rough, rough time for them. Yeah, yeah.
0: Very good. Um, now, Fred, you, like you said, you're a lifelong member of many associations, many military associations, and you are currently the national commander for the Combat Infantry Association. Um, what were you able to do? What are you able to do in those roles? And how important is it for veterans to get involved in military associations?
1: Well, I I came on this uh, fairly quickly. I have I haven't been a member of the association for that many years, but I was on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Uh, I belong to another association. It's the Sovereign Military Order the Temple of Jerusalem, and we support oh. Christians in the Holy Land. But the, the long and short of it is I, we're on this pilgrimage and I see a guy with the 25th Infantry Division. No, it was the first Cav a Division patch on his hat. Go, hey, man, you were the first, I, I mean, with the first Cav. He says, yeah. I said, yeah, I was over there. He says, first thing he asked me, he says, well, you got to see IBA. I said, yeah. He says, you got to join the Comet Instruments Association. So I, I'm the type of guy that I tell you if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So I got home and. It was a couple of months, but I finally d- decided to join and went to their first convention. The next thing mm-hmm. I know, I'm the chief of staff of the uh, commander. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I was in this chief of staff for a little more than two years and he suddenly passed away. Mm-hmm. So the board decided, to, you know, because I was closest to the flagpole and make me the uh, vote me to commander. So I've been a commander since December of 2020. And uh, you know, just uh helping this thing grow. Uh we're yeah, our focus is obviously on the last twenty years of Warriors and of course our Desert Shield Desert Storm guys. Believe it or not, we still get World War II veterans to join. It it wasn't <laughs> that long ago we had Lieutenant General James uh E. Uh Grange Jr. join. He's a guy that their best ranger competitions uh named after oh, wow! wow uh, he's in his 90s i talk to him on occasion he's as lucid as could be just a great guy you know we we got the merrill's marauders in there i, I go to the uh, ranger mustard rendezvous and and these guys attend and it's just such an honor to be with these uh these uh these these just amazing men and what they've done with their life but uh yeah it's uh that, that, you know and it is it, it is important for, i think for uh you know, these these individuals to join uh, associations, uh, any association, because it it is a brother and sisterhood. Mm -hmm. We currently don't have any females in the association, but we know there, I know of at least one uh, female ranger that Mm -hmm. went down range in Afghanistan and probably wears the blue badge. And I will be reaching out to her and uh, asking her to join the uh, association. And I'm sure we'll give her a free membership
0: so so you yeah, so you get the camaraderie out of it. Um yes. what else what else does the association do and why is it important? I mean, there's camaraderie but um what is the goal of the association? What's the goal of a lot of these associations like American American Legion, VFW, whatever it may be? Um why should veterans join those?
1: Well, you know, it, it's about legacy with us right now too. You know, we're getting their stories and we're archiving them. Mm. That's very important to us. But we're we're also um, uh, reaching out now. We've never done uh, a a a good job at fundraising. We pretty much have depended upon the uh, members' dues, and it barely you know you can you can only sustain. But you know our goal is right now. We're we're uh, looking at legislation to support uh, things from the VA for combat vets. Things that we think should be, um, you know, uh, looked at a little differently because of what they've done, so, and get the VA to take a look at, you know, and you got these guys humping these rocks around orthopedic conditions. Of course, psychological issues, you yeah. know, are 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 just, you know, they should be presumptives. I guess is the word I'm looking for here. So we're we're looking at that as well. Um, um uh, trying to think right off the top I got so much going on right now but you know we're we're <laughs> we're, we're doing things with fundraising we're re, we're redoing our website we've got a great company yeah. now uh, to to give us a real nice design on our website to attract these yep. uh younger members you know th- these 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 guys and uh, are 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 hard to get to uh, to join you know they always say well I'm so busy and all I say look I'm not asking you to do any heavy lifting I'm yeah. asking you for your for your time, your input and, you know, we're, we're a relatively low fee. It's $30 a year. So, you know, it's not like we're asking for a, a, a King's yeah. ransom to be a member of this association, but, but we do punch above our weight yeah. and where we show up, uh, people embrace us. They're like, wow, man, Combat instruments association, you know, and they don't really know who we are, but you know, once you tell them, you know, that we're the guys that, you know, are born under fire or, you know, or, you know, yeah. born by fire, but whatever you want, whatever you want to phrase you want to use. Um, it's so uh, it sounds like, go ahead. No,
0: I'm not. oh, so it sounds like to me, you guys, uh, you know, help with a lot of, uh, you partner with a lot of uh, maybe other bigger associations to help maybe lobby for some sort of legislation as well. In addition to the commodity. Am I am I getting that right? Yes,
1: you know, I, 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 I'm in discussions with the National Infantry Association. We're talking about, you know, leveraging our our memberships. You know, the the National Infantry Association is is unique in that they uh, support the Chief of Infantry at Fort Benning, so they they have to stay out of the political arena. Uh, gotcha. You know, and and that's where where we could potentially come in. I'm not making any not speaking for them obviously but sure. you know but but the perspective i have from my uh, talks with uh, that that that's a great organization and uh, colonel chapa just does a just a great job and his staff and that's what we're hoping to get uh, get to you know gotcha. we're really we're really growing we got we got four a little over 4400 members we have uh 7000 total and we've got more than 3000 uh facebookers great good so that's Very a pretty good, good number
0: yeah. But, you yeah know, good audience. Got, you yeah. can, you can, you can, good audience that you can talk to to help influence whatever we can do to, for veterans. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We got, you know, there's 175,000, we figure yeah, out there that wear that badge and we'd like to have them all in the fold so we could do some good stuff for them. You know, my goal is, is to get some money raised. You know, we, we, we see all these other organizations building homes and doing things for these, uh, Individuals that have suffered grievously on the battlefield. You know, I, I want to be able to help that that effort. You know, gotcha. and uh, very and good become part of that. But you, like you said, our goal is to be able to give money. Like we give money to the Ranger Association, both the USERA and the Seventy uh, Fifth Ranger Association. You gotcha. know, to help to help their troops and and that sort of thing. That that's our goal.
0: Gotcha. Very very good. Very good. Um, Fred, has there been a veteran? Is there a veteran that you know in the veteran community or a veteran nonprofit uh, whom you've had an experience with that you'd like to mention?
1: Boy, well, you know, I, I it would it would it would be probably the American Legion here gotcha. in, here in uh, California. They they do a lot of really good things with honoring uh, veterans. They they put on these luncheons. Uh, they just put on a luncheon for uh, Korean War veterans, and they. Uh, invite, uh, you know, uh, people from the, uh, Korean embassy and that they come and, uh, oh, wow. a lot of folks just want to show up and honor these men. They did the same thing for world war two veterans not long ago. That was, uh, uh, you know, very positive. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, those, those service organizations, uh, you know, they, 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 they do a lot of good things that I don't think people realize and how much they reach out, uh, to honor the the people that aren't necessarily you didn't have to be a member you know you could just come there they were yeah you know, and that
0: yeah very good very good yeah the legion always my brother uh my brother spends a lot a lot of time with the legion um and i've had a lot of a couple of other veterans uh in, on the show talk about the legion very good very good uh fred what is what is one thing that you learned in during your time in the military that you apply to what you do today
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Discipline. Yeah. Yeah. I can work 24 seven. I can still stay up four days in a row. You know, (laughs) nobody can outwork me, you know, just try it. You know, uh, my wife will tell you that Uh I'm a hard charger. I get up every day, you know, I'm still very disciplined. Still working uh, out
0: in Camp Lejeune there.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's something that I, I embrace and, and love and, uh, it's uh in in high school I was a wrestler I was I was I've always been an athlete I wrestled I played football and that sort of thing you know but uh, the military really really taught me uh you know what discipline's all about and self sacrifice and you know like I tell everybody the one thing they can't stop when things were getting really bad is time sure yeah you know, it'll pass yeah
0: what did you uh what weight did you wrestle at and, and baseball, at, baseball's my my is baseball's my favorite sport too. I, I was second base. What was your, what did you wrestle at? What was your weight?
1: I wrestled at 127. Oh, uh, wow. You were one of the, the little guys. Absolutely. Even though I wasn't little, I was a huge 127. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I would come out there and go, wow, this guy can't weigh 127. It was, it was rough. I, I, you know, the holidays were tough because I used to go to these Christmas tournaments and, oh, you know, yeah. you're, yeah, you know, you're sucking my, weight,
0: and it's just not
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I was in the sauna with the sweatsuit on, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, I did wrestling my senior year, and I wrestled at 145, not knowing any of the rules. Just walked in, started wrestling my senior year. Um, that, it was a wake-up call, but I, it was a great challenge. It was a great challenge, and I thought it was, a, and it was great prep for me for the Marine Corps. Uh, You know, you, you look at how wrestlers train during wrestling season, then you look at boot camp and you go, ah, it's. Pretty similar,
1: you know? <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten that you had been in the Marines.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, oh, sir.
1: Oh, where'd you train at? Were you at uh, Paris Island in Lejeune I, or were you out here in California?
0: I was at San Diego and Pendleton in California. That's where I did my basic, but the the Marine Corps decided to stick me on the East coast for 11 years. So, oh, wow. and I'm originally from, and I'm originally from Washington state. So, I was as far away from home as you can get in the in the 48. Um, but yeah, Lejeune, Cherry Point, Pentagon, uh, Quantico, uh, Syracuse University. Is, they sent me up there for a year. And so I thought maybe then they would, I'd be like, I'd hit everything on the East Coast. Maybe I can get back to the West Coast. Nope, they recycled me back down to Camp Lejeune and Camp Johnson down there, towards there. So uh, to yeah, there. <laughs> well, so, yeah I, 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 I'm a West Coast kid, but I've been on the East Coast since 2003.
1: Yeah, before we moved out here, I spent two years living in at, at, at the uh, at Pendleton. We were in O'Neill Heights. And oh wow! We still got some, uh, you know, friends that we keep in touch with. They went back to Lejeune, but he's hoping to come back out here. They're from uh, North Carolina, but he just got promoted to master sergeant, so he's been a Marine throughout his whole career. But when people come to visit, I take him over to the MCRD there on Pendleton just to. Just to watch those drill sergeants dog him out, I said, "Watch this! This kid's going to be down in front, leaning rest position any minute now."
0: (laughs) I think it's hilarious. You guys get your jollies from going back to boot camp and watching you guys get slayed. Jeez, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Fred, uh, is there anything that I've missed or I haven't asked that you think it's important to share for anybody that's listening today?
1: No, yeah, I just want to, you know, uh feature the Combat Instruments Association. We also have a, a big support group. We're growing and uh you don't have to have a Combat Instruments badge to join. In fact, gotcha. I I just had a Marine combat veteran uh join from uh Vietnam. Uh he wanted to be a member uh, you know, of this association and I know he's going to bring great things to it. Uh yeah. so, you know, and that we need the younger guys. We need you to consider, you know, it, it it's about
0: so the, so combat action ribbons for the marine corps count
1: they don't they don't count for the, you we, we have to make them a support member this is still a combat instruments so you have to have the combat infantry badge it's yeah this yeah. thing right here <laughs> you know and yes, sir. Uh, but but the 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 car the combat action ribbon is something we certainly uh uh appreciate i'm i'm not sure if i'm authorized to wear one or not i when we were uh, op-con to the Marines, uh, the regulations would appear that I would have earned my combat action ribbon yeah. for the Marines, but I don't feel I would ever put it on because yeah. there's just something uh, about, uh, so I was working with the Marines, yeah, but I wasn't a Marine. I, I... The Marines are different. <laughs> As you well yeah, know, we're a little, we're a little yeah.
0: different. We're a little different. In a good um, way. But yeah, no, I think it's the same thing as the way as if a Marine was attached to an Army and, and, you know, maybe through they would, you know, hey, you can wear a combat infant badge if you want. It's been through the, the, the MAR admin or anything like that. And I'm sure there's a lot of Marines that would be like, no, that's for the Army. That's that's their thing. So I totally understand that. Um, think about the, anybody that's listening to this uh, that might be struggling or or is listening to this because of the treatment court. Um, is there anything that you might want to relate to them as like maybe a parting shot?
1: Well, I would tell them to don't wait, reach out. I was in that same dark spot. I'm going to tell you, if it wasn't for the VA, I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, that treatment mm-hmm. court saved me as well. I didn't realize just how bad I was uh, psychologically. And uh, I went and uh, got help. I went to, a, um, uh, to the VA. And, uh, met with a, uh, counselor. It was a, one of the, um, I can't remember that's it was an outreach clinic, uh, and, uh, met a great social worker there. And, uh, she really helped me along. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize just how, um, uh, rough I could be, you know, it wasn't easy to live with, and I was having a lot of problems with, uh, with anger and that sort of stuff myself and it was only because of my position and my discipline i think that kept me from uh going over the edge and that so uh don't hesitate don't wait the VA is there for you uh, you know uh I, I always stress that to people you know you hear these horror stories about the veterans administration yeah they always want veterans. veterans affairs veterans i mean veterans affairs that's right yes sir yeah yeah veterans affairs uh you 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 know, take 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 the step. It doesn't get better. You're not gonna heal yourself. Even the psychiatrist okay. gotta go to the psychiatrist. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good, very good. Well, Fred, that's uh we're about out of time. I appreciate you for coming on board in the battle and sharing your story. Uh, and we are out.
1: Okay, good thank you very much.
0: We served our country like those before us.
1: The camaraderie is what kept me going. You know, it was a dangerous area. All of Vietnam was dangerous. I didn't know what to expect when I got back.
0: For the first 10 years after I got out, no one would have known that I was in the service. I got home, got married two weeks later, got a job. We came back, built lives, families, and communities, but we still had challenges. The carnage of war left an indelible mark on me. I would have intrusive thoughts. Yeah, horrible, my news. Services and support that can help are available for veterans. I went to the VA, talked to my doctor. I started doing groups. I started doing one-on-one counseling. We found ways to move past these challenges for ourselves and for our families. At MakeTheConnection.net, you can hear our stories and find
1: tools and services available to you. The more I talk to people, family, friends, other vets, the better I feel.
0: I want to thank Fred for coming on Born the Battle. To learn more about Fred, you can find it at C I B A S S O C dot org forward slash officers. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is by the way of our VA's Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our social media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. Now, you can nominate the veteran in your life by emailing in a bio and about five pictures to new media at va.gov. And to nominate a, you know, Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can also email me personally at podcast at va.gov. In May of 1972, near Quan Tri, Vietnam, a South Vietnamese Marine named Bao Tran was given an abandoned baby in a hat. Tran took the baby to an orphanage near Da Nang. Later, an American airman named James Mitchell visited the orphanage and adopted the baby. In September, the baby was taken to the United States and was given the name Kimberly. Kimberly Mitchell's family lived on several bases as her father continued his service. Eventually, the family settled in Solong Springs, Wisconsin. From an early age, Mitchell considered joining the Air Force. She began to consider the Navy, though, after meeting Rear Admiral Raymond Winkle. In 1990, she enrolled at the Naval Academy Preparatory School in Newport, Rhode Island. And graduated in 1991, and returned to wisconsin for a month while she was in wisconsin her father unfortunately passed away mitchell completed plebe summer at the united states naval academy but with problems developing in her family after her father's death she wanted to help at home she left the naval academy for a year before returning in 1992 she graduated in 1996 majoring in ocean engineering mitchell was sent to newport rhode island for surface warfare training she was assigned to the uss stump in 1997 She served as a repair division officer and then as a damage control assistant for two years. She also received her surface warfare officer's PIN. Next, she was assigned as a detachment officer aboard Assault Craft Unit 4. Following this, she participated in a Navy internship program in Washington, D.C. for two years and obtained a master's degree in organizational management at George Washington University. She completed three internships, including one with the State Department that focused on Iraq sanctions and Middle East peacekeeping. After this, Mitchell became an operations officer on USS Cromalin, countering drug operations. In 2005, she deployed to Bahrain to train the Iraqi Navy as an N5 for Commander Destroyer Squadron 50. Then she was sent to the Navy International Programs Office working on foreign military sales in the Middle East. In 2009, she became a military assistant for the Office of the Secretary of Defense, helping with the Wounded Warrior Care and transition policy. In 2012, Mitchell left the Navy as a lieutenant commander. Mitchell has since become an advocate for veterans. She served as the president of the Dixon Center for Military and Veteran Services and as the president and CEO of the Veterans Village of San Diego. She is a board member at the Infinite Hero Foundation and the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund. She is also a member of the VA's advisor committee on homeless veterans. On March 29, 2013, Mitchell met Tran, the Vietnamese Marine who saved her life. Her story has since been covered by numerous news organizations And was featured in President George Bush's book, Out of Many, One, Portrait of America's Immigrants. Navy Veteran Kimberly Mitchell, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future Born the Battle Veteran of the Week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. Or on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Facebook, pretty much any pod-catching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I said that because the song you're hearing now is called "Machine Gunner," which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark Mcilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine guard Fire, fight bullets fly, in my brain. Simplify,
1: don't die another campaign.
0: My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My
1: pen is a 762 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Point, click, pull the trigger to the tune up, falling brown. A purple heart and a Russian made bullet in my back. Raiding down
0: dead, punching that cock. Get him, boys, I'm laying
1: down. The steam bullets fly through my brain. Simplify, to or die another campaign. Here we go, lock and load. Oh, 331, lug a thousand rounds. I ain't bringing back one. when I was a drill sergeant, I was a character. And I wasn't easy on these troops because I wanted them to succeed. And I remember one time I had to cite a troop that uh, had a rash on his uh, buttocks, and I wasn't taking him to the TMC. Another drill was, but I wrote on, the, on, the, on a on a, on a sick call slip "rash on ass," and he took this <laughs> he took this slip to the TMC, and they ate that drill sergeant up. The medics didn't think. The docs didn't think it was funny. <laughs> and the other yeah. drone
0: instructor got, took the took the heat for yeah. taking them up there. Oh, with they um, took the
1: heat. Yeah, yeah. They came back and said, "What the hell did you write on that?" I said, "Call if You don't check it out." Yeah.